0: Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak, with me, Christian Chiller, featuring a roundup of a few links and an interview. And my interview this week is with Paolo Negri, the CTO of Contentful, um, an API-based content management system. It's actually based here in Berlin, doing quite well in that sort of space. And we spoke about some of their new features and plans specifically aimed at developers. Once again, some of you should be able to see me and some of you should be able to hear me. I still haven't quite finessed the Weekly Squeak video in terms of layout and things like that. But I think for now, this is fine. I've actually got quite a bit of news to share with you as well. But for now, let's get to my links of the week. First, an article from one of my favourites here. Stephen J. Vaughan Nichols on how to judge open source projects. And I actually wrote a piece for a client a couple of months ago, somewhat covering this subject, um, more on metrics, more if you are inside an open source project. And opensource.com and a few other outlets also have some really good advice on this. And this is more for our internal uh, open source project maintainers. This article is more aimed at people from the outside looking in. How to judge if an open source project is uh, is one that is worth spending your time with learning. Uh, and of course, one of the common metrics that people tend to look at is GitHub stars. Doesn't necessarily mean very much. Uh, another might be to look at the community act- action. On the on the project, so merges, well merges? That's GitLab, but anyway, pull request merges, issues solved, communication, etc., etc. But um, yeah, it's somewhat difficult sometimes to know what those really mean, uh, as from an insider's perspective and an outsider's perspective. There's a nice little bullet list here as well that could be useful to you as a summary. Can you figure out where to get the source code? Not everyone is on GitHub. Uh, Can people contribute? Uh, There's often lots of barriers in the way. So is it really open source in the proper meaning of the sense? Um, Is the process clear and straightforward? Uh, What about if you're not part of the in crowd, which is actually another interesting point to bear in mind. Sometimes you might think you can contribute to a project, but then really... Contributions from external people, sort of, they're not welcome, but they're not not necessarily taken seriously, maybe, shall we say. And are they using a well-known license? So if from an outside perspective, maybe as a business person or just a contributor wanting to find a project to contribute to, have a look at this, this article and it might help you make your judgment call. That is actually the last technology article. (laughs) Now it's all gaming. Uh, First is an article here on Wired from Cecilia Danastasio. It was actually shared to me by my wife. So Dungeons & Dragons has been expanding in all sorts of ways, shapes and forms into all sorts of different people over the past few months, years, I guess. And TikTok. TikTok is a site I have managed to mostly completely miss. Not necessarily any... um, any reason but and there's an article here about gen Zers on gen zers i don't know on tiktok doing Dungeons and dragons videos and there's some quite <laughs> strange images um from some of these here mostly kind of interpreting characters i think um and uh playing out certain scenes and things like that i don't think tiktok is short videos so i don't think uh, it's actually people playing games or anything like that but yeah it's and it kind of interesting and i guess for someone like an old school D player like me who is sort of getting exposed to different groups playing Dungeons and dragons more recently with some of the groups i've been joining it's interesting to see how lots of them manifest their uh, passion interest in different ways uh, so i found it quite interesting one of my favorites here on the digital antiquarian uh, from jimmy meyer bullfrog after populous bullfrog were a games company from the uk in the 80s and 90s and uh, made uh populous uh they made what's the other i was in here <laughs> actually this text size is tiny let's make that a little bit bigger so you can actually look along with me um that's still tiny It's a very small font size. I think that's a little bit better. So Populous, uh, Syndicate, and a few other games that maybe weren't so well known. But for a period of time, you get a lot of companies like this in this era that have a couple of major hits and then just cannot uh, keep going afterwards. And this is interesting. There's a photo at the top here where you see... I mean, the studio is probably a couple of dozen people at most, whereas now big game studios might be hundreds of people. And those teams come and go, obviously, but it's always quite interesting to to read the history of some of these old classics and how they kind of somewhat haphazardly came together and really pushed the the limits of the technology at the time to to accomplish um, what they were trying to accomplish. And Populous was one. I think I have it on Good Old Games and Syndicate. I'd be intrigued to actually try them. I do remember playing them on my Amiga. Years ago, and this was actually one other interesting thing. So Jimmy Meyer has also written a book about the Amiga, which I did read. It was an interesting read. Um, if you're into <laughs> the understanding the depths of a story about a, a 1980s, 90s computer platform, of course, not everyone's taste. Um, a lot of programmers, especially in Europe, really tied themselves to particular platforms that then went. And it's not such an issue these days. And I think that's why also why a lot of these companies kind of vanished, they were too slow to change and then the platform that they were building for kind of vanished but it's an interesting article in uh, Jimmy's usual style um, so if you're a child of my sort of, oh yeah, that's the other thing Peter Molyneux was basically a bit of a sort of uh, kind of cause celebre uh, star who wasn't afraid to do crazy things when people interviewed him so there's a photo here of him being interviewed on the toilet He actually has his trousers up, disappointingly. but um, Well, not disappointingly, but you know what I mean. It's not as sensational as it could be. I remember once doing uh, a photo shoot where they put us in the shower. and put the shower on us. So things didn't change that much 20 years later. But um, yeah, it's always fun reading these stories of these old games companies and kind of how they did things and uh, what they were like in those days. And finally coming back kind of to the Dungeons and Dragons angle. I should have tied those together better. This is an article from Michael A. Gold on There Will Be Games Medium publication. Um, four great history books for game masters. I was going down a bit of a, a rabbit hole the past week of advice for games masters, dungeon masters, storytellers, games runners, whatever you want to call them. games czars. Um... And uh, one of the things I like most about trying to come up with scenarios and write scenarios is actually pulling from history. And I make lots of notes, but I've never been very good at going back to look at them sometimes. Maybe maybe I should a bit more. But this uh, article summarizes four really good books from various points in history to help you kind of bring a little bit of realism into the fancy settings. And I mean, stories uh, transfer across. So there's a book on the Crusades. There's a book on the history of China. There is a book on the year 1000, kind of the author poses as the first for globalization. And then finally, there's also 1491, America before Columbus, Americas to be precise, actually, before Columbus, if you know your history. So I added these to my to read list. I will look forward to reading some of these in the future. And that was my links for the week. And now I have an interview with, yes, the CTO of Contentful, a kind of um, reasonably growing tech startup here in Berlin, a content API, if you like, Paolo Negri of Contentful. Enjoy.
1: So I'm Paolo, CTO at Contentful. I founded the company together with Sasha konietzke in 2012, and I've been the CTO at Contentful since then. Um, we started the company over here in Berlin. Germany. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting journey. Uh, right now, the company counts around 400 people. And uh, we have offices uh, in Berlin, Germany, and in uh, the US, San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure today to talk with you, Chris. Did you say
0: 400 or 300?
1: 400.
0: Okay. And... Um- before we get into what Contentful is, I'll add a very slight disclaimer, is I actually used to work for Contentful and Paolo was my boss. So I'm asking questions I know the answers to in certain times. But um, the thing that struck me there is at the time it was owned less than 100 people. So that's actually quite an incredible growth in the past three years i think so yeah yeah it's been
1: been pretty pretty exciting and uh, we kept on having the traction that we had at the time Uh, you joined so the company kept on growing quickly and uh, uh, we close to doubled every year since when uh, you you were with us so it's been uh, uh, always busy and always exciting as, as as you experienced it
0: and what is Contentful? I think certain people who are in the space that Contentful operates in will certainly know it, but it's it's kind of a space that is newish to some people. So let's explain what Contentful is and the kind of ecosystem it operates in.
1: Yeah, of course. So Contentful is a content uh, uh, platform. And uh, to explain uh, the whole idea and where it comes from, we can start from the beginning where we started by defining us as API-first content management. And the idea of API-first content management is really that right now where uh, each website and each web application is uh, essentially a piece of software that needs to integrate content, you need to have um, a facility, um, software of sort where uh, you manage content uh, in a way where the people who produce the content can actually use it with a good usability from a web application kind of experience. But on the other side, this content is stored accordingly to a strict structured definition, and then the content can be consumed via an API in order to integrate the content into software. And this is a very different approach from uh, the first generation of content management system. Um, the first generation was mostly focused on rendering HTML pages, and also it was all revolving around this concept of page, and instead, Contentful allows the production of software in a familiar environment, so the production of content in a familiar environment, but it allows for the integration of this content into software by emitting, essentially, a data structure that is distributed by API, um, and this way it allows for very interactive content driven application and experiences like the one that we use every day uh, from our phone or from our computers
0: so to some people who hear this that concept might sound kind of like you you now to be blunt have quite a few competitors in the space from open source projects to commercial products so now it seems like this 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 idea doesn't seem particularly new but when you mentioned you started it in 2012, I think. Yes, so. yes, yeah. that
1: was the year, and uh, Sasha started working on the concept uh, in 2011 yeah. already. And back then, it was definitely, it, was it wasn't new, a common yeah. approach. <laughs> and we had to explain to many of our early customers why it was even worth to have content emitted as an API yeah. and why you should use this uh, approach. And uh, gradually, as software kept on uh, eating the world, it became clear to everyone that... Uh, if you want to integrate content with software, the only one way is effectively to do it through products that allow Mm -hmm. you to deal with content through the APIs. And also more and more, and that's why now we call it Contentful Content Platform, is because it's not so much only about the facility of having an API that uh, makes you make a step forward, but it's also the fact of being able to integrate the content lifecycle into your software development lifecycle and essentially... Mm -hmm keep on iterating on both fronts of the technology side of your application and on the content side that uh, is integrated in your application and work on these two aspects in parallel as an organization, possibly on multiple projects in parallel and so on. So the concept did evolve quite a bit since the early beginning. Hmm. And that's to say API first is just the default in the industry today. Like everyone will wonder why bother even with further approaches. and um, But yeah, the platform did evolve for that. And now we have this wall... Uh, You know, development pipelines in Contentful, there is a possibility of defining environments uh, and uh, switching the environment that you use uh, um, in production uh, in order to be able to roll out fluently uh, new deployments of your application and of your content. Uh, And uh, yeah, there are many more collaborations aspects in the platform for the production of content and so on. So we... No, since when we started, the concept did evolve a lot, but definitely was the wave mm. of uh, the API approach that pushed us forward and kept us growing. Yeah. Um, and uh, then yeah, we got recently to the launch of this community plan that is, again, connected to the idea of uh, uh, content management and development let's, integration. Let's, let's
0: come back to that. I'd like to come back to that in a minute. I'd like to go back a little bit first. Go ahead. Because um, this is your your kind of... Uh, problem space was a space I understood myself. I, I might come to my own journey on this story in a minute, but I'd like to know. Back in 2011 2012, what was the the, the personal pain points of you and Sasha that you? decided to create this around to solve? What were you grappling with at the time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is interesting because we came from different uh, points. Sasha was really much trying to solve the problem of managing content for mobile application. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that's obviously what showed him the way to having an API-first approach because mobile applications are obviously very dynamic piece of software. And if you need to integrate content in there, um, you need to have it uh, you need to have content as a data structure, and then he started developing essentially, this backend that would allow his customers to enter content again in a web form and um, on the other side it would allow him to build the application uh, um of consuming content from an api hmm. and when such approached me uh, with this idea back then I was working in social games. And uh, (laughs) social social games uh, obviously are, uh, you know, fundamentally are just a server-client architecture, and the client is the game. And uh, we were going through a lot of pain actually to manage the in-game content uh, because uh, the game is full of content. You know, there is the name of the characters, there is all the elements that are in the shop that uh, Mm -hmm. um, is present in the game, and all the speech bubbles of the characters when they talk to each other. There is a lot of content and. uh, Uh, Normally, social games are published in very different countries in very different languages. And we were managing a super clunky pipeline that we used to use, Google Spreadsheet, and uh, everyone would try to collaborate with the content. And then we would use the Google Spreadsheet API to essentially extract a horrendous XML uh, um, export of it and build these into the pipeline that eventually would uh, make the content also become an asset. So the intuition that I had was, um, I know I told Sasha, But this is not only about uh, solving the problem of managing content for mobile apps, but is solving the problem of managing content in any kind of interactive software Mm -hmm. um, application. And um, before working in social games, I was working um, at some point in uh, advertising, and that's a whole other area where there is a lot of content, but there wasn't any decent content management system for that because, again, you have this problem where content needs to be expressed as a data structure in order to be u- to u- be able to use it reasonably in um, that kind of context of advertisement or uh, games uh, and so on. And um, that's really the pain that we were trying to solve. There were really no tools. Every content management system was super eager to serve you uh, HTML page. And then you were like, well, now what am I going to do with it if actually I want to display only a snippet of text somewhere and I need to know exactly how to address this snippet out of the wall, yeah. big context of content that I'm working with. So th- the main problem was really there was no decent content um, experience for people who needed to integrate content in a software application. Yeah. And uh, that's us uh, software engineers, essentially the problem that we set out to solve.
0: Yeah, And and so, yeah, I don't think I've actually even mentioned this strangely. in, in several years of doing this podcast, Well, maybe. I've spoken to a lot of people. Sometimes I forget what I've said. Um, My own journey to this came from doing a lot of work on aforementioned content management systems, uh, Drupal in this case. And even back, actually about the same sort of time, probably, 2011, 12, 13, there were lots of groups in that space talking about um, headless content management systems, I think. I'm not entirely sure if I've just replaced whatever they were using with the term we use now, but that was what they were talking about. And there were ways of doing it, but it wasn't it wasn't the first-class citizen. It was mostly like you describe, And I remember countlessly battling against theming and things like that. And yeah. then people wanting, especially in those days, yeah, mobile versions of content and stuff like that. And yeah. now I think all, I mean, I've fallen out of touch a little bit, but I think all the major content management systems have similar ideas as well now I think I don't know yeah, absolutely. To touch a bit.
1: it, it um, is now mainstream idea in uh, in the content management system market yeah. uh, whether you look at open source and so on it, it is really the, the the approach that is now you know becoming no. the default
0: yeah so uh, most of the audience of this show are, are developers so I would like to focus a lot on on that side which sure. gets to your kind of current um, uh feature announcements but let's just start with the other side of this first so contentful is a couple of different components and one of those is the the editor experience yeah so what can a content writer slash editor expect when they use contentful and i suppose actually the the interesting thing that comes into my mind here which is something that would come up a lot when i used to do content management systems is uh, how customizable is that experience for the content people first
1: yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, an interesting question because this is also a picture that evolved uh, a lot uh, over time in, uh, in Contentful. And uh, one thing that we recognized early on was that when uh, editors started using the editor that we made available initially in Contentful, uh, we saw a lot of requests regarding, mm. uh, okay, but you know, I have this very specific uh, type of content. Could I edit it in a specific uh, uh, way? And, um, contentful at the very beginning offered a few type of fields that you could, um, mm-hmm. uh, edit. Uh, so th- th- there were uh, basic things like, you know, well, a big box of text, uh, short uh, text, uh, like string mm-hmm. or tag, um, number and a few others. But we really recognize that it's like, well, there is a huge range of different uh, editing uh, details and uh, specifics that we will need to integrate in our editing experience. And, uh, that's why we chose at the beginning uh, an approach of uh, achieving this for extensibility and customizability of the editor. And um, at the beginning, it was all about customizing some of the fields. And these days, we uh, very recently in uh, TZR, I think in February, we launched uh, what we call the application framework, mm-hmm. which is effectively... Uh, compound a few different capabilities um, of uh, the platform uh, and also obviously of the web application that is used for editing that um, allows um, our users to define um, uh, specific components uh, of our application. And these can be just overriding uh, how a field is edited, so specifying a specialized editor for a single field, but can also be a specialized editor for a bigger piece um, of content or even just the entire screen of our web application in case mm-hmm. the customer or the user wants to plug uh, the editor in a complete customized experience where there is uh, um, only the skeleton of what contentful provides and all the rest uh, is provided by the user and again I mean, this is since we are talking to an audience of developer, is quite important. It is one of the aspects that is open also now in the community plan. Uh, The app framework is effectively provided completely uh, for uh, also the free plan and uh, is all documented publicly, so it's possible to use it. And uh, it's really possible to integrate closely contentful with third parties or also Mm -hmm. to realize features, that are contained, so to say, in-containful and self-hosted yeah. in-containful uh, through, through that. But that's been an important part. And of course, I think right now we are only up to some point in the journey and there will be more um, to come to make uh, for a more fluid experience mm-hmm. for um, editors.
0: Okay, so let's get to the, the developer experience now. Sure. And maybe we will talk a little bit around the community plan here as we do yeah. this. So, I mean, I have an actual very active use case that we can work with that. I've had a, a Jekyll site for some time, sure. <laughs> a very long time. Uh, there's content in there going back oh, over 12 years. I mean, it hasn't always been in Jekyll, but that's yeah. another story. Um, and because of that, I have a lot of images. I have a lot of stuff on my hard drive and in GitHub repositories that really I don't need there anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> like I, it doesn't get updated very often. I'm not updating posts from 12 years ago very much. Um so if I wanted to say, okay, this sounds good. I would like to um, maybe wipe away a lot of that in, in the Jekyll site and just host my content somewhere else. Sure. Um, the, the images, et cetera, et cetera, somewhere else. Um, and I, look, I start looking at your community plan. What would be my developer experience of that workflow? Like uh, what can I do and then what do, I, what do I get at the end and how do I visualize it some way? if that makes sure. sense. Sure,
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, w- what you will do is obviously to start by opening an account. And uh, essentially, as soon as you open the account, you you know enter an environment where one thing that you can start doing is defining the schema of your content. Mm-hmm. So, as you said, you know, you're dealing with a blog uh, uh, kind of uh, structure. So probably what you will want to define for sure is... Uh, A model that starts by defining what a blog post is Mm -hmm. and uh, what are the components uh, that uh, define a blog post. Like it can be the title, it can be the shorthand for the URL that is used for um, the specific blog post, uh, the, the body of the text, or maybe the body can be broken down in a few different uh, parts. Like you can, might have an abstract uh, and, and then uh, uh, a title um, and then um, maybe a reference image that is the canonical image uh, for uh, the page and so on. So you will define what your post looks like and you can also define maybe if you have some uh, um, constant subsections that you embed uh, In every blog post or in um, uh, most blog posts, it will define also the types of these subsections. uh, Like, let's say you have a featured product uh, um, that is maybe what you talk about in the blog post. You could define a product um, model where essentially you will say, uh, okay, I defined that my product uh, as a code, uh, as a URI for people to go and see it at the site of the vendor, and so on, and so on, and so on. It would specify essentially what is the... Um, schema, which is called content type in Contentful. Uh, it will define all your content types, where you will have one content type for the blog post, one content type for uh, all the sub sections of your blog post, and maybe also content type for something that you will say is the category of the blog post. And it will define relationships between all these entities. And th- when you finish with this work, what you have is a well-organized, uh, conceptual version of all the elements that are composing your um, blog application and the data that is in your uh, blog. And after that, you will have to somehow think how you import, obviously, all what you have uh, already okay. in your uh, that blog. That's going to
0: be one of my next questions, yeah. Exactly. And, uh,
1: <laughs> and then uh, the way you could do this is, obviously, one thing you could do is just go in the editor and manually upload yeah, and uh, it copy and paste like fun, everything. Yeah. And that will not be very efficient. But the better opportunity that you have is Contentful as a content management API that essentially once you define your um, uh, content types, what you can do is just to issue essentially API calls that will allow you to uh, create um, essentially objects that reflect uh, the data structure that you define in your content types. So you could say uh, you extract the data from your current uh, blog post that is in um, uh, Jack Hill, And you will write a script that essentially takes uh, every page or uh, blog post whatever it is called in Jekyll and uh, adapts it to the structure that you define it in Contentful and then makes uh, content management API calls on Contentful in order to create the um, uh, corresponding uh, entity in uh, Contentful. And very similarly, you could do for uh, organizing your images. If there are related Mm -hmm. images, you could just uh, uh, programmatically upload them to Contentful and uh, link them to the right uh, content uh, entry that um, references these um, uh, that is referenced in this blog post. So essentially you could uh, develop a script um, that helps in uh, importing 12 years of content so you don't need to do everything manually but you can just do it uh, um, in one big batch uh, running your uh, script. And, And from that point essentially your content will be effectively uh, in Contentful.
0: And so then to get the content visible somewhere, I use another API that gives me, I'm guessing, JSON. I think you now have GraphQL as well.
1: Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and I can do
0: a multitude of things with that. I mean, I know you have a pretty close uh, connections with things like Gatsby, for example, the kind of more JavaScript world. CMS, exactly. probably others too. That's a yeah.
1: next step. You you will need to choose you know, some um, uh, framework to actually visualize your content, and Gatsby is a pretty good example. Uh, or it you could be uh, Jekyll again, probably. Or Jekyll yeah. again, yeah. if you feel uh, <laughs> uh, an aficionado of, uh, of the technology, for sure. Uh, you could use that and essentially will consume what is called the content delivery API, and -hmm. that's a very powerful API that allows, again, to very specifically um, make queries uh, to obtain only the content that is interesting for the page or element that you are rendering um, at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a choice. You can use the REST API, which is the original API of Contentful, or you can also use the GraphQL API, which of course uh, is the more modern version of it and has some more flexibility Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, into into it. And there is also, might be more network efficient depending by the approaches that uh, you you take. So essentially you can consume this API and what is um, great of this approach is that you can, depending by your use case, you can choose something that consumes the API as your user visits the website, or you can choose to rather build your website every time that you update it, if it's something that you don't update very often yeah. and uh, yeah. is acceptable to have the build time uh, being in between the moment you publish the publish button and the moment your website is updated. Uh, there are different solutions, but in general, this way yeah, you have a strong approach that allows you, again, to consume content programmatically and uh, eventually to reuse it in different places. As an example, one advantage of uh, having your content in Contentful is if you want some of your content featured elsewhere, you can just offer um, access to the API to a third party in order to access your content. And they will have it in a format that is, um, again, uh, um uh, no API, JSON-based API, so mm-hmm. it will be easy to integrate in a third-party syndication yep. um, kind of application, yep. and t- yep. which is something that usually wasn't possible with the previous uh, previous yeah. code.
0: So this is something I'd actually like to dig into further because bizarrely, my Jekyll site does a lot of strange things. <laughs> 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 um, And it's really pushing the limits of it. So I'm almost uh, getting a a little bit of free support here, Uh, maybe. I don't know. But uh, hopefully it's a good use case for everyone listening as well. Um, So, for example, uh, I actually have a lot of uh, Zapier tasks that are triggered by, um, at the moment, RSS feeds uh, from from Jekyll because it's kind of easier and then it works. Um, So this sort of... Contentful is designed to be extensible, but um, as far as I can tell, basically, it, it's the same thing. If there's an output in a JSON or a GraphQL format and a tool can accept that, I can do something with it. And I'm guessing you're probably working with and encouraging a community of, to to create um, commercial and open source yeah, absolutely to as well. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, Contentful has been for, again, I mean, we started really with the developers, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the persona that we wanted to design the tool for. So it is designed for integration. And um we talked about APIs, there is also um quite powerful webhook system.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, I think uh you no know, usually the word web book just alludes to some simple mechanic where it is like you know, you get a fixed kind of format in um, um your web book structure. In Contentful the system um, is quite evolved. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially what you have is a range of events that Contentful can generate. And you can send these events to different endpoints depending by, for example, let's say you want to ping for different sources whenever you update something yep. okay. or you want to process some of your um, assets. For As example, you will want an image to be transformed and so on. You can, through the book system, whenever an image is amended uh, or changed in any way, you can essentially define a webbook that says, okay, whenever something happens to an image, uh, I will uh, make this call to this endpoint and the calls are quite customizable, like it's possible to define the body um, of the webhook call so that mm-hmm. it adapts and plugs directly into other services. You, defined. you talked to us, an example, about Zapier. So it's possible to customize payloads and other details of the uh, web call that will be executed so that you can directly from Contentful Call, other systems. And uh, as an example, many AWS services work out of the box so um, if you would want to do something uh, on that cloud, you can trigger it directly from Contentful. And the way you can think about it is really to have a PubSub system that essentially um, is emitted by Contentful. And um, obviously, because you also have the content management API, what you can have is systems that receive webhook calls and then they respond by eventually making changes uh, in the uh, content management API Uh, if you Mm -hmm. have some some transformations that you want uh, to do. So uh, it's a pretty comprehensive system that really allows you to um, integrate your pipeline of uh, content production uh, and eventually also software deployment uh, really allows you to manage the wall uh, life cycle in, uh, in one place and Contentful can be the central orchestration yeah. point
0: where yeah. uh,
1: you log in and trigger all the events that are needed. Yeah, that's
0: something I'm thinking about. I also kind of bring in content from, I aggregate into my own site um, as well. Absolutely, so, that, that's
1: yeah. another possibility yeah. to uh, hook uh, other sources to create yeah. for you in the content management API okay. uh, entries that uh, you can use to enrich your content.
0: I run a new live stream where I actually do a developer experience evaluation. So it seems like a that's route. an interesting <laughs> candidate. For that. Yeah. A good one to try. Okay. So, I mean, interesting when I look down the comparison. So, when you look at the kind of pricing for Contentful, the, the, the jump from free to the next tier is, is quite a large one. Sure. Um, and there's a lot that you get for free. Um, I think there's probably a few limits here that might surprise people how quickly they might hit them. Um, you know, for example, 25,000 records seems like a lot, but when you read further, it says it also includes assets and things. So if you actually start to think, that can add up quite quickly if you're not careful. Sure. Um, but still, there's quite a lot here. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the one question, I don't, know, I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but its it's like... <laughs> Is this going to be sustainable for you? Do you think like there's a cost, obviously, in in, in running this? I mean, I mean, assuming you've you've thought about this for some time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah,
1: yeah. Of course, it is. Um, it is a commitment, uh, you know, to yeah. offer teas, and as you say, um, the capacity of the free plan uh, is now sized to a level where it should allow for any personal project uh, Mm. or reasonably contained scope project. So it's really for, as an example, the blog post is a perfect example that Mm. should definitely fit in the community plan um, without too much trouble. And it's definitely possible to do some significant things uh, there. For, For more professional and engaged use, of course, we have the other plans, but the idea was that these could serve most self-contained projects for, for what we see from a small mobile applications to personal mm-hmm. projects like blog post or a small shop. Um, all these use cases should be covered by community. Regarding the sustainability, well, of course, it's something that we gave for before launching. Yeah. And, um, of course, Contentful is uh, um, very successful uh, in the enterprise, very successful uh, in um, digital companies. So we have... Uh, uh, a very healthy amount of revenue that we can um, uh, get from those customers, and uh, effectively we feel that um, uh, having the developer community being able to use Contentful in a meaningful uh, way, it is something that ultimately helps us uh, mm-hmm. in a number uh, in a number of ways. So we really feel yes, this is a cost. It is definitely sustainable mm-hmm. for us, and uh, ultimately we find value. In uh, having professional developers uh, um, getting uh, onboarded on Contentful, being able to run their projects, and um, being exposed uh, to all what Contentful is capable, and being able also to prove it, uh, mm-hmm. because of course, sometimes when you approach new products, you know, like you know, one question that you ask yourself is like, I see how is it advertised, I see what's uh, um, communicated uh, on the website, but it's quite different when you try it. You you really realize. Uh, um, what enables you to do, how it enables you to do, and if it fits your use case. And we really think it's um, important that uh, anyone who wants to experience Contentful just can do it without friction, without having to uh, put up some money uh, up front, and can yeah, use it for an uh, extended amount of time um, and just you know, get, get involved with it. Also, as you said, we have, um, um, and as I said, We have this application framework, which is another Mm. interesting ground of experimentation of uh, new ideas, like, you know, can you extend Contentful to connect uh, maybe with your service if you are running a service uh, yourself? uh, um, Or can you uh, experiment something that, you know, you've seen at work a problem, and at work you don't really have the time to try out crazy things that you would like to prove? And with Contentful you can, uh, um, for free, from home or run some experiment and make a proof of concept and try out some crazy ideas that maybe you don't find
0: yeah, um, yep, time
1: yep. and the uh, means to do. Um, and the content will really give you a full exposure to the application framework. And that's, yeah. I think, uh, also an interesting uh, uh, area to explore how integrations between systems can be done. And uh, to some degree, yeah. I think it might be an intriguing topic yeah. by itself. There isn't so much out there um, freely available and can be just an interesting idea to say, well, if I want, for example, to have a content management solution that also interfaces with some specific artificial intelligence uh, service that uh, I'm aware of, you can try to hook them up uh, together um, and um, uh, see what the f- looks and feel. Um, yeah. So we really find that there is a value for us in um, making these available we want everyone to be able to learn for free. Like, you no, know, we don't want the learning content for cost you or anything. Uh, and we think there is a value in also collecting feedback from this community and mm-hmm. seeing what we learn from having the community interacting with all these uh, tools and aspects of the product that we make available. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. I actually thinking I might try a more experimental project. <laughs> yeah. That, that's definitely
1: that's really what I love. And I mean, that's a, that's yeah. what the internet is about, you know. It's been uh, and you probably kind of late. I mean, you come also from the days where technology was very different, and at the beginning it was really a struggle. What are
0: you to- saying poem. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: <know>, at the <laughs> beginning it was quite a struggle to try out things, you know. Yeah, yeah, and- no,
0: it's true. I, I I can see some some valid use cases here. I I know you you still have a couple of other even competitors in this space that offer it for free. And what free means, of course, is always a bit unclear that I might investigate as a side comparison as part of a, a kind of further research. But um, there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot here. I think probably the one main thing that might might put off people migrating from something like using a GitHub repository or something instead is a user limit. Um, whereas on GitHub, of course, it can be as, as many as you want, really. Um, but in reality how many do you actually get on a lot of side projects it's something to ask yourself you know <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah that's that's why we put the limit at that point because we, we really we really for okay this element really for uh, yourself or for you and um, another person just yeah. to try out things and uh, yeah. if you start to have um, you know, the um, problem of, okay, i do you onboard five editors on your project. Probably you also have other aspects to take care of. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. for that, you want uh, probably to look at the paid plan and uh, enjoy being more of the collaboration features and uh, what is more um, really, you know, team-grade or enterprise-grade uh, aspects of the platform. Just,
0: just out of interest, though, I mean, because it's API access obviously you have rate limiting on on the APIs. But in theory, people could do all sorts of things with those APIs and add all sorts of things in front of them that maybe get around some of your limits in some ways. So do you have any kind of... (laughs) <laughs> in terms of conditions of what people could do with those APIs? Or... There,
1: there are obviously fair usage policies okay. and uh, you know it's always important in a relationship with a vendor, it's always important to be honest on both sides, of yeah. course. Um, but in general, I think you know, someone can also try some acts and uh, again, I mean, if they are other <laughs> innocent and they don't end up uh, being, you know, can also be in the range of experiment, understanding what you can do. For example, if you okay. want to try a uh, Custom editing, a completely custom editing experience. Where you say, I don't know, I want to do a super specific live blogging uh, uh, application. Okay, mm-hmm. you might just try. Okay, like uh, I have editors not actually logging in contentful to edit, mm-hmm. but just push their edits through the API. And again, I mean, if you want to do it in a secure way, you might still need. Um, to upgrade your plan because you want to distinguish user identities and be security. So, by in general, I think you know we, we give a bit of a degree of freedom, uh, and uh, again, fairness must be taken into account. But um, it is possible to um, mold the system into something that is intriguing, uh, and uh, definitely you can um, flex. Uh, all um, your brain around what you can do with the tool. So again, there is a playful aspect in building new projects and uh, tinkering around with software. And uh, yeah, we want to support that.
0: Okay. Final question I always like to ask. I mean, this has obviously been a relatively large feature you've been working on for some time, but you're a startup. Um, What's next? What's on the roadmap for the next sort of six to 12 months?
1: Sure. I mean, we will uh, keep on investing on um, two things. One is uh, keep on investing on the application framework. So we will have new capabilities from a point of view of integration point on uh, how customizable um, is uh, the application, um, the richness of the events that we emit, uh, um, more specifics regarding the pub, pub, sub system, regarding what can be interfaced with, um, and so on. So we keep on investing on these aspect. Mm-hmm. And um, in the paid branch of the product, we will keep on investing on next generation uh, content editing and content-related um, uh, uh, experience. Uh, like uh, the wall, collaboration around the content production is mm-hmm. becoming a bigger and bigger topic for Contentful. As I said, we really you know excel at... Uh, integrating with um, the software development process, and mm-hmm. especially with the agile software development process. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want more and more to help editorial teams enter in um, in the loop and be integrated in the loop in a very elegant and uh, frictionless way. So we will keep on uh, also um, investing on that front, and we have some exciting things that I cannot quite... Uh, talk about yet coming uh, um, at the end uh, of the year, beginning of next year on uh, on Tease front. But what is also exciting is all Tease has been enabled also internally for Contentful by the application framework. So I think one new approach that we're really taking is somehow to build Contentful on Contentful, um, which is something we started making possible. Tease here, which, again, I find keep us very aligned with our developer audience because essentially yeah. our developers day by day have share most of the experiences that the standard developers yeah, also yeah. have. <laughs> so we find that, that is really a fair ground for everyone to play. And um, again, that's uh, interesting because if you try out the product as external developer, essentially you are trying out some of the things that you will be working on if you were working on a contentfulness developer.
0: And that was my interview with Paolo from Contentful. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, I have a few things to share with you. I am having some problems building my website right now. So there's a few things missing. Uh, Something has changed somewhere that is causing the build to time out. So (laughs) there's a few things I want to direct you to my website to look at that I can't right now. Hopefully, I'll have it fixed by the time you listen to this. But... So the first episode of Board Game Jerk is out. You can find that on Anchor.fm slash boardgame jerk. The first episode of Stories About People is out. You can find that on anchor.fm slash stories about people. And finally, when I've fixed my website, you'll also find it at christiangillet.com/slash podcasts. I have a few other articles in there. And I also have my D expose. This week I actually did On contentful so you can have a look there after listening or watching the interview and i will have a new solo adventurer coming out probably a day or so after this podcast where i'll be looking at um gentleman thief Actually, i'm suddenly having a complete blank on what it's actually called i guess i should gentleman bandit gentleman bandit close enough (laughs) so you can look forward to that and you can find details of those um, actually well on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash D-X-P-O-S-E. Tex-Pose, expose is. And for Solo Adventurer, twitch.tv slash Solo Adventurer. For YouTube, you can just look for... Actually, I need to fix my YouTube link. I realize it's a bit of a pain to, to find. I need to get the link properly sorted out. But um, if you go to my website, even... the in its partially broken state, you will be able to find a link to my YouTube channel there. And you can find some of these videos there too. I think that is all I have to share with you right now. So as always, if you have been, thank you very much for joining me and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.